Welcome to the unspoken truths of digital leadership, living the leadership values. Our guests will talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the values, the dark side and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity. Discover how they lead more effectively, how they make decisions, how they live their leadership values, and how they deal with the consequences that happen because of the decisions that they make. I am John Opoon, I will be your host of the show. Please note that there may be explicit language used during the interview. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of The Unspoken Truths of Digital Leadership, Living the Leadership Values, where our guests will talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the dark side, and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Ralph Peterson is a best-selling author, radio host, and management consultant in the healthcare field. Welcome, Ralph. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. I, I appreciate it as well. So for those that don't know who you are, could you just tell us about how is it that you got into the position you do with being an author, a speaker, a host, and a consultant? Absolutely. I actually fell into it quite backwards. I have always, well, I got my first management job when I was 16 and I only held it for about eight minutes. I did get, I did get fired that first uh, eight minutes later for fighting with one of my staff members, which I've learned quickly. It's frowned upon. You're not supposed to fist fight with your employees. Um, but I was 16. I was very young. It was my first time ever being in charge of anything. And something interesting happened to me even before I was put in charge. When my my boss, I was working for a landscaping company. I mean, I was 16, I was mowing lots. So I, mean, I wasn't doing all that um, mentally exhausting work. But my boss had just started a new, got a new contract. And so he needed somebody to help him run the crew to mow lawns while he was gonna go do this other big job that he had just landed. And when he looked out over all the employees he had, he decided, he's like, you know what, Ralph, you're probably the only one I can rely on. So, oh, that's interesting, right? So that's the first key. Like, how do you get into management? First of all, be reliable. That's good. Okay, all right. So that day when he said, have you ever thought about being in charge? Do you think it's something that you could do? It's, do you think it's something you'd want to do? From that moment, forget what happened two weeks later, because two weeks later, it took a couple weeks before he actually put me in charge. And it took me eight minutes to lose my position. He actually fired me on the spot for fighting with an employee. Forget all that. That I left that conversation with a completely new outlook about myself. I now saw myself the way he saw me and he saw me as somebody who could be in charge. And I had up until that point, never even considered, I was the youngest of four. Listen, I've never, I've never been in charge of what we watched on television, what we ate, who we played with, what games we played. I had an older sister. I didn't even get a chance to tell you what I wore. My sister would dress me the way she wanted me to be dressed when I was a kid, you know? And so this first time, I got put into this leadership role. And since that moment till now, I have always wanted to be in charge. I just absolutely love it. It is the best job in the world. And I come from a housekeeping background. I've worked in housekeeping most of my life. I've worked in long-term care and nursing homes and healthcare centers and hospitals all my life, working in the housekeeping department. And about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I was promoted from a housekeeping manager to a district manager position where I had to start actually 
hiring and having managers under me, which is a completely new. Uh, I mean, talk about it. it. It's like going from learning how to drive a motorcycle, ride, I mean, ride a bicycle to driving a Mack truck. I mean, they're not. Yes, you still go down the road. Yes, you're traveling. Yes, you can probably carry things. But I mean, the, the, the skill set is so different. And one of the things that I quickly learned is that it's very, very hard to find somebody who, in, who works in housekeeping who has the chops to be a manager. They, we, we, we're not just born with the ability to manage. Managing is a skill that you have to learn like anything else. There are tips and tricks. I mean, there are certainly people that are more naturally geared you know, towards it and some people not so naturally geared towards it, but it's a learnable skill. Either way, even if you are naturally inclined to be in charge, you still have to learn how to do it effectively. Did you, get, so I, did yeah. you get training for, for this or is this learning on the job? Oh, no, all on the job, all on the job. It's why I've been fired so many times. <laughs> it's uh, all on the job. It's why I got it wrong so many times. And so I started realizing that I had to, so I was promoting housekeepers or super workers, you know, my best housekeeper into a management position. And we would have these calls every Wednesday. We would have a call on how to manage. And I remember back in like 2005, 2004, 2005, I was looking for podcast, not podcast, podcasts were, weren't really around at that time, but YouTube was pretty new. And I was looking for anything to try to help teach these new people how to be better managers. And I remember finding this, this uh, video series, it was called a fireside chat with an executive. And I was like, Oh, let me click on that. Maybe that's something I can share with my team. That sounds good. And it was like, it was a woman in a business suit. And she was sitting literally by a fire and she was talking about like culture of an organization and employee buy-in and all this totally irrelevant to me. Like my managers and I in housekeeping in a busy inner city, I mean, we have theft, drug use. We're ha I'm having to give my managers a class on what to look for if people are scratching. If they're scratching, they can't sit still. That's a drug problem. Their eyes are dilated. That's a drug, you know, like... <laughs> How to wow. discern, how, you know, it, it, we're having conflict, we're having flight fights, we're getting, people are punching walls, you know, I mean, it's totally different than what she was talking about. Like her world for managing and my world for management, I mean, she was like very civilized and I'm in like guerrilla warfare, you know, I mean, it wasn't even close. And so I said, you know what, we just got to start having a, a meeting every week. And so we started meeting in a nursing home basement every Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night, whether you were one of my managers or you just wanted to be a manager, everybody was welcome. And we just talked management, talked about problem solving, talked about how to how to have difficult conversations with difficult people, how to eyeball to eyeball people, how to make schedules, how to, you know, all this inner, inner, really in the weeds kind of stuff. What I didn't know at the time is the owner of the nursing home had an office next to that, this conference room in the basement. And he was there only one day a week. And as luck turns out, it was Wednesdays. And so every Wednesday, I'm having a meeting in this conference room. He's in the other room at his desk listening to me. So maybe a month goes by and he there's a note that he wants to see me. I thought I was in trouble. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to have to find another place to have my meetings. You know, there's sometimes we're cursing in there. You know, <laughs> housekeeper management could be a lot, you know, so we're we're letting it all hang out there. And he could not have been nicer. He, I went in and I met with him for the first time. And he said, listen, I've been listening to you for weeks. 
And he goes, I only know one thing. I need you to start training all my managers. And he owned a bunch of nursing homes. And before I knew it, I was no longer in the basement. Now I was upstairs. And then somebody said, you should speak at this conference. And my first speech at a conference was the keynote. I didn't even know what a keynote was. <laughs> They're like, would you mind being the keynote? I said, sure. What, what's a keynote? <laughs> was that, like, how, was know, that, how was that for you being your first public speaking event? Well, it wasn't my first public speaking event. It was my largest audience for sure. Right. It was my biggest stage for sure. But I had been, I had been, you know, I grew up, I was in a band. I was a lead singer in a band as a kid. I was a writer on radio. I did a lot of radio skits. And so you kind of get the chops of being, you know, putting yourself out in front of people a little bit, um, you know, raw and, uh, you know, everybody's looking at you kind of thing. So I was kind of, I already kind of built that internal muscle. Awesome. Man, once I got on the stage, whoo, fun is the only way to, I mean, I had a blast. I couldn't believe they gave me 45 minutes and those 45 minutes went in a blink of an eye. I couldn't believe it was over. And I was like, wow, that was such a rush. When can I do it again? And uh, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> wow. And you started your own management com consultancy? Company. I did. I started my own company in 2016, 2017. And the reason was because I was working for this very large million dollar organization. They have 30,000 employees. I mean, their, their biggest challenge is management development. As with all companies, every company, I'll tell you right now, it doesn't matter what company or what industry you're in, their number one challenge is management, clear across the board. And so they were, they were in the early stages of really trying to develop this great management training program. They already had, they had a good program. They had, you know, they were doing a lot of stuff because they had, they were very big. So they, were, they knew they had to concentrate on management development, but I was not in management development. I was in operations and I wanted to be a management. I wanted to work in management development. And so I went to everybody I could think of. I even wrote the owner, like there's, you know, it's the, the CEO. I wrote a book. I had just come out with my first book called Managing When No One Wants to Work, Leadership Lessons from an Executive Housekeeper. And I wrote, like, this is how you train a manager. This is everything I've learned. I went to the CEO. I went to the president. I went to my boss. I went to my boss's boss. And everybody told me the same thing. No. They said, you're too valuable here. We're going to take it over here. We don't need you in management development. They didn't say, you know, like, I'm not good at management development. They just simply said, we have a team already. We've already selected the people we want to run it. We've already, you know, thank you for your input. If we need you, we'll let you know. And quite honestly, at that time, I mean, that time, just like it is today, I, it's the only thing I think about. I love it. I love managing. I wake up thinking about it. I write about it for a living. I talk about it. I read about it. I watch YouTube videos on management. I am super interested in how to get better, how to promote the next person, how to get the super worker to become an effective supervisor. I mean, that's that's the name of my game. That's my mission. And so I was like, all right, you won't let me do it. I know I can do it on my own. And three years later, here I am, knock on wood. Awesome. How did you come across finding your mission? You know, that's quite an interesting question because I think that I think that what happened to me was I was a pretty lost I was a I did I had no idea what uh what what I was supposed to you know I mean I I'm sure everybody goes through it at some point in your life and you just kind of like well, I don't even know why I'm here I don't know what I'm doing with myself and for me I quit school when I was 16 
so I didn't, I don't even have a high school diploma. So no high school diploma. And I quit school and I took a job in housekeeping. Of course, you know, my first job is in housekeeping, working, cleaning condos at a ski resort. And I always wanted something better for myself. I always thought I was better. I got a day labor job and, you know, I started working construction and construction is like everybody in construction that I was working with. They were just, you know, the, the day was simply you got up at six, you were on the job site at seven, you got done at three thirty, you cleaned your tools till four o'clock, you drank beer till seven o'clock, you yelled at the wife, kicked the dog, yelled at the kids for playing on your lawn, you passed out on the couch and you did that again. And for me, I'm like, that is not my life. I mean, I simply, I just don't, I want something more. I wanted to use my brain, but no high school diploma. I didn't even have a GED. I mean, I'm 22 years old. I don't even have a GED. I've got nothing to show for it. I have bad teeth. You know, I, I'm, I dreams of being a rock singer. Like it's so dumb. And I actually, I was, I went for a job interview. I lied on my application. I was going to say resume, but resume is too big of a word for what I put together. Really just like a glorified <laughs> application. And because I wanted to go, I wanted to work in healthcare. I knew for some reason I thought I equated healthcare with education. I equated healthcare with prestige. I equated healthcare with a, a steady job. People would respect people who work in healthcare. And so I really just wanted to work in healthcare. So I have this crappy car and I drive to this hospital I have this interview. The interview goes terrible because I clearly don't know what the hell I'm doing. I, I clearly don't have any answers. I'm not, you know, I, I clearly lied, made stuff up. So I'm coming back home and I'm super depressed and my car overheats. Legit broke down side of the high or side of the road on this big mountain in Vermont. And my car overheats and it starts to snow. I have to wait for the car to cool down so I can start it back up. I start playing with the radio, trying to find a radio station. And I find there's guys on the radio. And just as I turn it on, he's telling, he's talking to some, some caller had called in and he was giving them a pep talk. And he was saying, listen, you live in America. You live in one of the greatest countries in the world. If you don't like where you are in life, you can change it. Don't blame anybody else. Don't look for somebody else to come to your rescue. Nobody's coming to your rescue. You have, you have the ability. If you don't have the education you need, go get the education. You don't have the house. You're not living in a place you want to live. Go move to that place. You don't have the job you want. Go get that. It's all up to me. Here I am. I feel like I've spent my whole life at this point receiving whatever it is giving me, whether it's good or bad. Like I, I have no, like I have no choice. Like I'm just taking, taking, taking. And this guy for the first time in my life, and he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to somebody else just kind of put it into perspective for me. And he's like, you've, you've got to be your own hero or there is no hero. There's no rescuer. If you don't rescue yourself, there's no rescue. And so I, I'm telling you, I came off of that mountain. I was 22 years old. I came off that mountain with a mission and I enrolled in community college. I got my associate's degree in creative writing. Then I got a bachelor's degree in U.S. history. Then I got a second bachelor's degree in business administration. Then I got a master's in, organ in organizational leadership. I've written four number one best-selling books. I mean, my mission became how to help others do get. I want to be what that guy was for me on the radio. That's who I want to be. I want somebody else to go. I can't believe this life I'm having. It's all terrible. Everything's happening bad for me. There's no way out. I'm never going to get ahead. I want to meet that guy or that girl. I want to meet that person. I want to be the one that says to them, you've got to be your own hero. You've got to do it. And you can. That's the best part. The best part is not that I'm some superhuman person. Trust me, I am not. 
not, I have all the determination papers to prove it. I make a lot of mistakes, but I am my own hero. I'm my hero. I decided, I learned that day that if, if somebody needs to be rescued, the only person that can rescue them is the person uh, that's looking back at them in the mirror. And that's me. And uh, so super great. And, and I got to say that the guy I, I, who said that, by the way, his name is Rush Limbaugh. And uh, I cannot give him more enough credit or more, enough props. I mean, he truly saved my life that day. 22 years old. He's never met me. I've never met him. I changed my life. Well, he changed your life, but you also put in the work to do it for yourself. A million percent. You don't understand. So you got to get, you got to hear that somewhere. You, you've got to hear it. You've got to hear that it's net, that it's possible that, you know, you've got to hear from somebody else. It's, it's so valuable. That's why I'm on the, that's why I'm on this podcast with you. It's why I, I, it's why I write. It's why I tell my story. It's because somebody's got to hear somebody else did it because you go, okay, listen, it sounds like what you went through is something similar I went through. And so how did you, what steps did you take? Okay. Let me try those steps. Not all the steps are going to be the same. Not all the steps are going to work for everybody, but at least knowing that there's a framework, there's a structure that there are indeed steps. Yeah. I think it's super important. And I think that's, that's what makes me feel the best is when I'm, when I'm having an impact on others positively. Was there a limitation to how you was brought up that, stopped you from being the best self oh my gosh yes oh yeah i i did not i no knock on my uh on my family at all but i i even my extended family i i really grew up under the mentality of being poor mm -hmm. and unfortunately my parents equated poor with money and what i didn't know until years and years later is that we were not money poor. We were mentally poor. We were emotionally poor. And that you, if you, if you show me somebody who has no money, I'll show you somebody who's mentally emotionally poor. They kind of go hand in hand. It's hard to be. It's not that, I mean, some people are born in third base and so they have a lot of money, but they're still emotionally and physically and, and spiritually poor. But I mean, I was poor. I was raised with a poor mindset that I didn't have very many choices, that we didn't have many choices, that we kind of, you kind of got what the government gave you. You know, I mean, I grew up on welfare and food stamps and, uh, it, you know, public housing and government cheese. And, and, and why, why do we get this cheese? Well, because that's the cheese the government gives you. And so that's what you get. And, you you know, it, it, it sometimes you would say, well, that's not fair. But fair wasn't, wasn't even relevant because it's, when somebody's giving you something for free, it fares out the window, right? You didn't earn any of it. And so even that whole idea of earning, I didn't, I didn't get. I mean, my dad always was trying to figure out how to work under the table so that we could still get food stamps and he could still, like, you know, like it was, I learned more about how, growing up, I learned more about how to skirt authority than I did on how to be an authoritative role. I mean, it's, I wrote about it in my, in my third book, Congratulations, Now Get Over Yourself. My mom, even to this day, my mom just looks down on authority. She just always, she's always seen authority as a roadblock to her getting what she needs. So she's always learned how to meander around authority, try to break a small rule so she can get a bigger outcome for, for whatever. But 
And I don't mean to say my mom's a rule breaker or a lawbreaker in any sense like that. I just simply mean that she, even to this day, it's funny that I'm in the position that I'm, I, I tr- people train people how to be in charge. And my mother would be one of the first ones to go against anybody in charge. I mean, it's, it's a little ironical, you know. But that, that might be the cause of you wanting to be in, to help other people be in charge. Yeah, a million percent. I must say that when I first got that question, when he said, hey, have you ever thought about being in charge? Up until that point, I never looked at myself as somebody capable of being anything other than the youngest, smallest kid in my family. You know, a lot of people, I know a lot of people who get bullied and they talk about going to school and getting bullied and playground and getting bullied. I got bullied at home. (laughs) I love going to school. I like going to the playground. I didn't like going home. My home was where I got beat up. You know, again, I was, I was like this very small kid and I was the youngest of four and any transgression that uh, my, my siblings had against anybody, they took it out on me. You know, it was, I was a very easy target. And so to think that somebody at any point was to see something like to see that I'm an authority figure, to see that I'm big, I'm strong. I'm cause I've always been, you know, a head or two shorter than everybody. And all of a sudden I'm growing into this life-size man. It's, and then somebody shows you like, you know, you get their perspective. It's crazy. It, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> it was just awesome. But generally, the, the, those are the, the reasons what you kind of create along the way to get to become who you are because you find out who you don't want to become. million percent. That's a great way of putting it. I don't know who I want to be, but I know who I don't want to be. Yeah, I mean, that's generally the, I think, the best advice that I've got given was you may not wait, you may not know where you want to be or who you want to become, but at least you know who you don't want to be and what behaviors you don't want to do is um, very similar to how my dad was a drinker and a heavy smoker, but I prioritize health because I don't want to be uh, smoking or drinking. (laughs) I was raised to be both a drinker and a smoker. And uh, I, I, I was really good at it. I I really, I was a really good smoker and I was a really good drinker. And, uh, <laughs> but yet you, you've moved into healthcare. I have, I have, and I've quit all that too. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't, I, I I'm working on it, but I still do curse a little bit. I, I try not to, I just wrote a column all about it too. I just, I have a column coming out today. I do a weekly newsletter and, I, and today's all about watching your mouth. And the first time that I got my mouth washed out with soap by my mom, I was, uh, was seven years old playing a swear game with my brother, but <laughs> so cursing is the thing that, uh, that, and, and it bothers me because I do know how I judge people who curse. I do. I, I, I don't want to, I like to love to say that I'm a not judgmental. I listen, I judge you on the way you look, the way you dress and the way you talk. And if you are full of expletives, man, I, it, it doesn't, it doesn't do well for me. I don't. So I know that it bothers me when I curse. I try my hardest not to. I think it really depends on context when how sure. you use, how you use agreed. it. Right? Agreed, agreed. I mean, there can be comedic purposes. There could be, but in general conversation, mm, yeah, it's not for me. Yeah, <laughs> peace and love, it's not for me. <laughs> yes, I, I get I understand that. So when you was go, um, you you mentioned when you was growing up, you had um, music. Can you tell us more about how you got involved with music and what? 
what you learned from music with leadership and management? Well, I got into music, you know, again, one of those accidental things where I was just this 14, 15 year old kid. My older, my older brother had just moved down. We had one bedroom downstairs in our house. All the bedrooms are upstairs, one bedroom downstairs. It was always my oldest brother's bedroom. He moves out. So that bedroom's open. And I beg, borrow. My mother lets me have the downstairs bedroom. I'm like, oh, that's so great. I think it's because I was the only one she trusted not to sneak out of the house. And so <laughs> I think that's why I got the, the, the bedroom downstairs. But it wasn't anything special, but it was on the ground floor. And there was a window overlooking the courtyard. I lived in, I lived in this small project area. And I would sit in my room and I would sing along to Poison and Def Leppard and Guns and Roses and, you know, Judas Priest and Metallica and all that stuff. <laughs> and I had no idea people were hearing me sing. But then, you know, I, somebody would go, hey, I, was that you singing? And I'd be like, oh, no, you heard that. I gotta. Like, hey, you're actually a pretty good singer. I'm like, I am? No, you know, like you really? And then. You know, a couple people tell you that you're a pretty good singer. And then I hear this band and they're looking for a singer. And I was like, I don't know. Some people said I'm pretty good. I'll try. And so I go down and I said, like, no, you're really good. Let's do this. And then I was in a band for eight years. I mean, it, and we just constantly uh, trying to make it work. I'll tell you, in retrospect, I learned nothing, it seems, when I was doing it. Because other, I learned a lot about stage presence. I learned a lot about facing the audience because you don't want to you want to face the drummer just have you know like well i'll just sing to you because there's too many people have a back there all that learn a little bit about songwriting and stuff but one thing that i did not learn and didn't learn until later on and that is well how to manage a band how to be how to be a team team a band member i didn't know how to be a band member as a matter of fact none of us did we all thought we were individuals coming together and that doesn't make a band right the the whole point behind a band is to is to put the music first and put the individuals last. I mean, if at all, you're, you're last. You should only be contributing to the overall sound of the band. And we never got that. We never got that. As a matter of fact, I see that a lot with teams now all the time where they're all a bunch of individual managers instead of a team of managers. And that's how you fail. It's how you don't make good music. <laughs> So what makes a good leader and what's a manage the difference between management and leadership? I suppose that's the distinct um if you could distinguish those two. I'll say I'll say I have a bunch of little quirky little catch phrases over the years. I don't like it. I don't like to make the comparison because of one big reason, and that is because it's insignificant. It doesn't matter. It seems to be a title change. And people feel better about calling themselves a leader than a manager, right? But I think that the perspective goes to the person being managed or led, and it can't come from me. So I would love to say I'm the great, I'm not a manager, I'm a leader. But it's not for me to decide. It's really for my employees to decide. And to even make that point is not that accurate because I would also argue that there's only, only the customer, only the customer. Can, has a real clear view of whether or not a manager is any good. Only the person who's using who's the, the using that product or that service, only they can tell you if you've got a good management team. No employee can tell you because it's only about the end product, right? So unless you're in a position, and there are a lot of nonprofits 
or government who are in a position who they they do not have an outcome based mission. They don't. They're not trying to provide a good service or a good product. There are they are only trying to create an internal utopia in some sense. So that 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 certainly could happen. But so for a long time, I would say that the difference between a manager and a leader is a person's aim. And what I mean by that is a manager tends to be really more focused on the head focused on how to do things, where a leader would focus on the heart, on the why we do things. The reason that that is also not a very good comparison or not a helpful one is because I think understanding why we're doing something is important. I, I do think that helps. I don't think it's always necessary. I think that you can go, hey, we're just going in this direction and we'll. You know, I don't have to give you the why on every single step of the process. You might need to know the why of the outcome. But I also recognize that anybody can be a leader at any time. It doesn't matter about your title. It doesn't matter about your status in the world. It doesn't matter how much money you have or education. You, people can step up into a leadership position a lot. And there are a lot of opportunities. You know, you see somebody injured, you can step into a leadership position, take charge of that position. You see a person needs help across the street, you can step into a leadership position and take control, jump right out there and help. The problem with leadership is it's not sustainable. It's not measurable. It's hit and miss. Anybody can do it whenever they feel like it. Management is very concrete. Management, you are it's a system. And I would call it a leadership system. And it's just a circle. And a leadership system is where a decision is made, a communication about that decision is made, and then a follow-up about the, commu the, the decision and the communication. And that follow-up loop. And it just keeps going up. So you go, you make a decision. You communicate to whoever needs the information about that decision. You follow up. And in that follow up, you are making another decision. Did they do the job? Did they not do the job? Is it half done, mostly done, all done? Make the decision. we got to communicate again. That communicate requires a follow up. And it's just this big circle. I can measure that. See, that's beneficial to a manager. I can measure it. I can keep track of it. I can put timelines on it. I can put outcomes on it. I can put KPIs on it. That's helpful. To say that, you know, somebody is a great leader because this one time they came in and they they stood up for this other person or they they had this view that nobody else had and they came in and I mean great leaders are great, but without without the manager actually pushing, sometimes pulling the work, the team, the mission forward, you know, it's not gonna happen. I remember during World War II, I don't remember as in I was there. I remember I remember this. <laughs> Let me be clear. I remember <laughs> reading about Dwight Eisenhower when he was the supreme commander. He was uh, the general in charge of all the allied forces in Europe. And at the time, this reporter asked, because they were losing an awful lot of second lieutenants, which second lieutenants are brand new officers in the military. So they're brand new. And they call them, also call them like butter bars because it's like one single bar, second lieutenant. And they were losing a ton of them. Like the attrition rate, the, the amount of second lieutenants dying in during World War II was amazing. I mean, it was just, according to any other military occupation, second lieutenants were getting killed faster than any of them. And so they asked General Eisenhower, why are you putting your best and your brightest on the front lines? And he said, and I quote, have you ever tried to push a rope? What a great, what a great analogy. See, in order to manage, you, you've got to pull the rope. You can't push the rope. You've got to lead from the front. And that's what a leader doesn't do. I heard this other great analogy about 
the difference between leaders and managers. And again, these are all just analogies. And whether they work or they don't work, I think again to the larger, to the larger point, I just don't know how helpful it always is. But I'll give you another analogy about leadership and management is that somebody's taking a team of horses down to the water. You can take a team of the horses down to the down to the water for, in a couple of different ways. You can literally go to the front of the horse, grab them by the bridle, and walk them to water. You could also sit on the carriage and direct them to water, right? And so some people even would say that whichever position you are in is the position maybe shows your maturity level of, in leadership, and it also may also show your position in leadership where the ground manager is responsible for pulling the, ensuring that the horses get to water by so leading them through the front. And then the CEO is perhaps on the the carriage directing the manager who is directing the, you know, I mean, so you can analogize this to death. Again, I don't know that it's relevant to the conversation of effective management. If you're talking about effective management, then you're talking about a system. How do you get things done? How do you produce superior products and services? You're talking about leadership. You're talking more about who you are as a person. You're probably talking more about your own core values. You know, I was at a an eighth grade graduation a few years ago, and one of the one of the teachers was retiring, and I thought, and one of the teachers was retiring, and so they were giving a little retirement speech. And they said, this guy has spent 30 years teaching kids how to mean what they say and finish what they started. And I was like, come on. If that's not a leadership trait right there, if you give me any kid, anybody who means what they say and finishes what they start, you have you have the building blocks of greatness, great of anything. It doesn't matter if you want to be a race car driver or a manager for a Fortune 500 company or a startup. If you want to start your own hair salon down the street, if you mean what you say and finish what you start, brother, come on. There's no, there's no stopping you. What's the big mistakes that you see in organizations with management? I think the, I think there's a, a lot of mistakes and, and I think the biggest mistakes, and, and I'm going to say there are a couple and, and I'm talking about for corporations, not for individual managers. Mm -hmm. or you want to talk about individual managers because they're different. Let's start, let's start with um, small business to corporates. If you could go. Right, that so, one of the biggest challenges that I see most places have is that they don't let their managers manage. Mm -hmm. We're afraid to let managers make mistakes. Mistakes can be costly. The problem, however, though, is that if you don't let a manager make decisions and, and uh, you know, maybe even make some mistakes, then you're not allowing them to grow. And it's making it so that you can't grow. You can't grow. Your business can't grow. Nobody grows if you have somebody that you're doing all their work for. If you hire a manager and then you're doing the management, hmm. and then you're like, I can't get my stuff done. Yeah, no kidding. You can't even grow. You could at this rate, you can't do any. So developing managers is where I think most companies fail. They spend zero or very little money developing their managers. And quite frankly, I'm not, I don't know why. It might be a combination of there's everybody and their brother is a management consultant. I mean, the amount of people who claim to be management coaches, and, and I've hired a couple of coaches myself and have not been happy so far. I have not, I yet have, I have not yet hired a coach and been like, okay, that was worth my money. I, you know, because, so I know that there are a lot of people out there, probably with the best intentions, that just don't have the ability. And I also know that. Businesses are busy, and the reason that they do most 
promotions into leadership are battlefield promotions, meaning we didn't even consider you for management yesterday, but today I don't have anybody else. And so what do you think? Do you want to give it a shot? And, and, and so it's, here's your running shoes. Now catch up, you know, because uh, here's your, here's your new management badge. And now, and, and now maybe it's just a timing thing. And so we don't even have that time to take, you have a manager, a brand new manager, and it's been two months and you have not set aside an eight hour day where you can sit down and have honest conversations and some strategizing and some where, where you're not inundated by phone calls and emails and actually at work, that manager, let me say this, first of all, two thirds of all first time managers, two thirds, think about that. I'll give you a bigger number, 5 million. There's 5 million people are promoted to leadership positions every year. Two thirds of them, 3.3 million will fail in the first 90 days. And I don't mean fail as in not do a good job. I don't mean fail as in have a bad couple of months. I mean, get fired failing. First-time managers get fired two-thirds of the time, seven out of ten times. They get fired in 90 days. And most who don't get fired in the first 90 days only don't get fired because they're somebody is needed to be in that position more than they need them out of the position. All they did was not do something fireable. That doesn't mean they're, they're doing anything right or they're doing anything great. And the number one reason for that is because we don't provide training. We don't provide coaching. We, even an 800 number would be great. Even just giving somebody, I offer that service, by the way. I offer the service where you don't want to take them out of the building. You don't have the time. Let me spend an hour with them on the phone. Let me spend 30 minutes with them on the phone a week. At least give them someone to talk to about brainstorm. Hmm. Just someone to bounce some ideas off. I have this employee who keeps coming in late and they're always wanting to leave early and I need that person. So I, how do I talk to them? How do I get them to understand? People aren't even being allowed to have that conversation. Right? It, it, it's we're not investing in our management team, and then we're super surprised when they don't when they don't make it. It's there it is. That's my pitch. Hire a management development coach. <laughs> for those that are in management, what's the for those that really want to learn how to manage properly? Um, where can they go, and what? You know, what kind of things they can do to themselves in their own time? So a couple so of things want, about that. So, yeah. So if they want to improve their skill set or yeah. in their own time. Yeah. No, I, I love the question because it's super important and the, the answer is not sexy. And so let me apologize right up front. It's not sexy. It, it, it's really straightforward. Become really good at your job. That's the number one thing that we look for is somebody who's really good at their job, a professional, a true professional. And I don't care if you are an auto detailer and, and you clean cars for a living that are coming off the shop floor and going out to the next customer or coming in because we're trading them. Or if you're a housekeeper or if you're a nurse or, 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 or you're a school teacher, be the best at be a professional. Take it serious. Take pride in it. You know, I have a lot of employees and I. And employees want to talk to me about how to get a raise. And I'm going to admit that I don't spend a lot of time with employees. It's not my focus. My focus is with people who want to be in charge. So if you're an employee and you want to know, hey, how do I become a leader? I'll talk to you all day. But if you, otherwise, you know, I generally only talk to managers. I only want to train managers. I only want to work with managers. Some people only want to work with clowns. I only want to work with managers. But there are an occasion where I will talk to an employee and they will say, hey, 
how do we get a raise? You know, we would, you know, we've been here for so long. We would love to know how to get a raise. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys don't even know how to get a raise. And they're like, no, well, what do we do? And they all, they lean forward. Like I got some secret message for them. Like, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you how to get a raise. It's so easy. And it works in any industry. That's how you get a raise. Stop needing management. Yeah, that's it. Do you know how much money we spend on management? You know why we, why we have managers? Because employees either can't do it by themselves, they need help, they need education, they need resources, or they won't do it by themselves. And by the way, there is a pretty big gap between those who need help and those who, uh, who need help with supplies and access to education and all that, and those who just simply need somebody there, because if there's no manager there, they will not do what they're supposed to be doing. It, it, it's it's amazing how many people I have that that I know that I've worked with in my life that and it doesn't matter what age they are, it doesn't matter what the education background. If nobody's going to look after them, they won't do their work. And then they go, I don't know how we we never get paid enough. Stop needing us to spend so much money on management. And by the way, here's the other secret that I don't tell them, and I'll tell you: everybody who doesn't need management, we try to make them a manager. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't need manager, we're like, hey, you're in on the time all the time. You're always getting your work done. You're always willing to help out. You smile a lot. People like you. You ever thought about being in charge? Poof, all of a sudden we're throwing money at you, giving you bonuses, extra vacation time. And all you got to do is be the type of person who doesn't need management. Oh, beautiful. Be a professional. Be really good at your job. That's how you do it. That's the first thing. Be really good at your job. Stop saying no. Say yes. If you're an employee, say yes. If you're a manager, say no. I have a no button behind me. I send them out to all my managers. <laughs> because managers generally have the hardest time with this word. And I got to tell you, I never, I've never once in my whole life hired a manager because I needed somebody to say yes. Hmm. I hire a manager because I need somebody to say no. Can I leave early? No. Can I have more time off? No. Can I get away with doing this job without doing this job? No. Can I use a different material than one, even though I'm not supposed to? No. Can I come in late tomorrow? No. If I had a yes button, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't need a manager. Just put a yes button on the table. Hey, can I come in late? Yes. See you later. Can I leave early? Yes. See you later. All of a sudden, who's gonna come? Who's gonna complain? The only person that matters, the customer. The only person that matters. And I work in nursing homes. I work in hospitals. My customers are dying. I want you to think about that for a minute. My customers are dying. I'm going to talk about the importance. I got people complaining to me like, you know, my I, I can't afford my light bill this month for whatever. I'm like, all right, that's relevant. I get that that's a good complaint for you. But can we please attend to the person dying? This is their last Christmas. This is their last Christmas. We have people right now. It's December. It's the end of December right now. We have people. This is Christmas week. I'm telling you, this is the time of the year. In my business, where it all comes real, where our customers' needs and desires, their trials, their tribulations, all come to a head. Everything is about the customer for us. If it's not about the customer, get out of long-term care. Get out of healthcare. I mean, if you want to disregard your, your customer and you work at an auto plant, great. Maybe the customer can find another auto plant. My residents, people I take care of in the homes I work in, they don't have any choice at this point. They, they're, this is where they live. And this is who they're living with. And these are the circumstances they're under. And 
most deaths in long-term care happen in January. And prior to this year, most deaths are caused by the flu. So it's a, it becomes terribly real for those of us in healthcare. Mm. What, what makes good managers or great managers? I'll tell you what makes good, great managers is they understand that everything that they're supposed to, that they want to hold their staff to, they have to be held to. If you have trouble getting to work with peace and love, you can't be a manager. You can't get to work on time. And I don't care why. I have a car issue. I have a kid issue. I have a babysitter issue. I have this. I have that. I have, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you can't get to work on time, you simply can't be a manager. It's, it, if you're blind, you can't drive a car. It's not me. Those are the rules. It just doesn't make sense. You can't drive a car. If you can't see, you can't be a manager if you can't get to work. And what's the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I have a couple of managers right this second who don't believe that to be true. You know what they think? They think they have an unspoken benefit rule that because they're in charge, they get to come and go as they please. They're the manager. They should be allowed to come late. They should be allowed to leave early. I'm in charge. Why the hell am I in charge if I can't come and go whenever I want? Man, you got the wrong concept of what it is to be in charge. The wrong concept. It's about taking responsibility, right? Oh, okay. it's tough. It's tough. Absolutely. But that's why you, they have people like yourselves who train leaders and managers, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's right. <laughs> Hire um, me. I'll smarten everybody up. No. <laughs> well, I'll just you what the rules are. That's all. For those that want to know more about what you do and how they can find you, how they can connect with you, where can they go? It's ralphpeterson.com. That's the best place to go. You can find, follow me on social media if you want to sign up for my newsletter. If you want to work with me at all, ralphpeterson.com. And if I might, just real quick. I just want to do a little public service announcement and just let everybody know that there is a real need for managers in every industry, government, hospitals, the firehouse, schools, community, the church, everybody needs managers. And so if you've ever thought about maybe I have what it takes, maybe I would like to do it. I'll tell you what, the attrition rate is high and it's high for one reason, one reason only, because it's hard. But you're going to learn things that are hard are the most rewarding. It's the greatest job in the world when you are living, you have a position where you help others get everything they want. Because when you help others get everything they want, you start to get everything you want. By the way, that's from Zig Ziglar or it might be Brian Tracy. I'm not sure. I didn't say it. I'm, I'm quoting somebody else, but it's <laughs> true. Either way. Thank you, Ralph, so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. See you. Thank you for listening to the Unspoken Truths of Digital Leadership. I hope you found this interview insightful and useful. Please remember to subscribe and review the podcast. And if you have found it useful, please feel free to send it and share it to your network as I will be very appreciative that it will spread and help out more people in the world. If you would like more information or the show notes and resources that I will be providing you, then please go to www.johnopoon.com, go to the blog and find the podcast section. Step up, show up and stay up. Take care.